So today we're going to continue our series on um, the I Am's of Christ. And today's I Am is fairly obvious. I am the bread, right? One of the things Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. And we're going to get into that today. As a matter of fact, whenever I first started thinking through this series, um, for those of you that may be new with us, what we like to do here is before we get to Easter, we like to do a series just on the life of Christ that kind of gets us to the place where we understand what Easter is really all about. And so um, I started looking through all these I am's and I thought, man, some of these I am's, I'll be able to preach like three or four I am's all, you know, at one time in one message. And, uh, and then when I started studying them, I realized very quickly how in depth some of these are. So today, the bread of life, honestly, I, I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can. But the, the fact is, I could almost do a whole series just on what Jesus said about being the bread of life. It's that he's got that much in this passage. So we're going to go to John chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 26, but first I am going to skip ahead for just a second to give you a little bit of an intro. So um, basically, if you've, if you've read the story before, if you've heard us talk about it, um, there's a place in the Bible where, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. A lot of people have heard this story. Even if you're not a Christian or never been in church, you've heard the story um, oftentimes. And so the Bible says that he took uh, a, a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He prays over them. He breaks them. He multiplies them. And he feeds 5,000 men, the Bible says, which means that there were women and children included. So it could be upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people that were fed with a miraculous uh, uh, way of feeding that, that Jesus did. So he does that. And then the Bible says that he sends his disciples away. They go across uh, the, the sea there, the, the big lake. And as they go across, the Bible says that he walks on water towards them. And so we did a whole series last fall about uh, into the storm. And we used this story, uh, the story of Jesus walking on water to help us understand the idea that we all have storms in life and that Jesus can help us through those storms. And so, um, so that happens. And then the Bible says that he comes back. Like he and his disciples end up coming back and they end up in a place called Capernaum. Now Capernaum is, is where Jesus, it's not his hometown, that was Nazareth, but Capernaum is where he's kind of established his headquarters. So everything he does now is out of Capernaum. He goes back and forth from there. And, and so, so that's happening. And so what's happening in this story in John chapter 6 Skipping way ahead in the story, verse 59 says, He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So I'm just trying to set you up for some stuff. He feeds 15, 20,000 people, goes away, comes back. Those, those people, a bunch of them, have followed him around. They've been looking for him, and they finally find him. And when they find him, he's trying to preach at church. He's in the synagogue, and he's trying to teach. And all these people come flooding in to talk to him, to hear from him, because he just did this miracle with all the food. And so we're going to pick up at verse 26, again, for the sake of time. I'm going to skip a bunch of verses, but I would encourage you, go back, read the whole story. Read the whole story. It's all really, really good. So verse 26 is where we're going to start because Jesus immediately starts calling people out, right? Like Jesus is not jumping into this message uh, very seeker sensitive at all. As a matter of fact, he, he hits all the seekers right in the face. He says this, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. 
But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. As we get into this message by Christ, um, a couple of things are going to happen today. Number one, I'm going to point out four very popular versions of the gospel that we hear all over our nation today. Four very popular versions of the gospel. I'm going to show you that Jesus confronts those four versions of the gospel because Jesus wants to be the version of the gospel. He wants to be the bread of life. He wants to be what we consume, right? And and so so I want to confront those, those four things. And then I want to show you some areas at the very end of how we can allow him to really be the bread of life in our lives. So the first thing he does... Because he says, the only reason you guys want to be with me is because I fed you. It doesn't have anything to do with the words I was saying. It not have anything to do with the, 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 the reason behind the miracle. You only want to be with me because I fed you. And what this shows me today, in today's version, is the prosperity gospel. There's, a, there's this idea of, of a prosperity gospel. And, and, and listen, here's what happens. In most versions of the gospel, is what happens is a lot of times, it's not that every part of it is bad. It's that we have taken it to the extreme. Right. Think about that in your life. How many times have you told uh, a a kid or or you've had something in your life that was a good thing at one point, but when you take it to its extreme, it can become a bad thing. So in our house, we've had a bunch of surgeries lately. So I had knee surgery three weeks ago. Uh, Gabriel, my son, had wisdom teeth cut out last week um, on Wednesday. And, And so we've had a bunch of surgeries. So what's in our house right now? is a lot of painkillers, right? Now look, a painkiller prescribed by the doctor taken at the right time is not bad. But you take that painkiller to the extreme, and what happens? It becomes an addiction. Do you see? And and so we do that with the gospel all the time. We will take a piece of the gospel, and I don't mean we like you and I necessarily, although we could, but, but the church in general, Christians in general, will take one piece, and we stretch it to its extreme, and then it becomes weird. We stretch it to its extreme, and it becomes wrong. And so the prosperity gospel is a gospel that says, I want to be uh, healthy, wealthy, and wise. The the prosperity gospel is based on, it's my faith is based on what I can get from Christ. Right? It's all about what I can get. These guys only wanted the food. That's what they're thinking about. So they, they got fed. Now they can't find Jesus the next day, and they're like, hey, we want some more food. It's breakfast time, and we need some bread. Right. And so they're looking for Jesus. It's all based on what they can get. And so so you'll see this a lot today. You'll 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 hear this a lot. You'll hear preachers talk about you. I want you to live your best life. And while that's good and I want you to live a life of purpose and fulfillment, I I want you to 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 be uh, healthy, wealthy and wise. I would love for everyone in here to, to be the healthiest version of themselves, the wealthiest version of themselves. And I really would want you to be super wise. That's always good. But the fact is, I don't see those same preachers preaching that same message to Peter when he's hanging upside down on a cross. I don't see those same preachers preaching to Paul, saying, Paul, you just need to live your best life as they're about to chop his head off. We don't have those sermons going on in Iran right now where they're chasing Christians down and throwing them in prison and murdering them. We don't have it going on in underground China where Christians are being persecuted. We only have it in the United States. Where we can get more out of people. Because if I teach you that the gospel is all about what you can get, the reality is 
I'm going to get more. I'm going to get more. And so we've got this prosperity gospel that's all about what I can get. Not about what I can give, but what I can get. And then Jesus moves on in verse 28. He says this. So if you haven't guessed it by now, just go to John 6 and just start moving down with me. That's what we're going to do. We're going to just go down verse by verse. So verse 28 and 29 says this. They replied, we want to perform God's works. What should we do? And Jesus said, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. So there's a second gospel, and it's a, it's a, a performance-based gospel. And it's a gospel that's built around, my faith is built around what I can do. My relationship with God is, is directly connected to my performance in front of people. And so it's all about what I can do. It's all about how many people can I get in the crowd and how many, how many people are listening to me and how many followers do I have and, 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 and how many likes do I get on social media. And so it's this gospel that's built around performance and it's all about me, me, me and not about him, him, him. And so it's a gospel based on that. And it's a, it's a gospel that says that, that my faith is based on, on my pulpit. My faith is based, my identity is set in my performance. And the problem with that is, is if at some point you lose your ability to perform, then you end up losing your faith as well. How many times have we seen pastors and, and leaders and, and people even in church that, that when they lose that ability to be on stage, they lose that ability to be in front of people, they lose that following, that they lose their faith altogether. It's because their gospel was based on performance. And Jesus says... It's not about doing a bunch of stuff. It's about believing, right? Yeah. And we'll get into that word in just a minute. I want to, I want to hone in on belief in just a second. But, but that's what Jesus says. Believe in the one you has, he has sent. In other words, it's not about what you can do. It's not about your performance. It's about faith. And then we move down to verse 30. Verse 30 says, And they answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. So they've gone from, You fed us yesterday, and now we want more food. Oh, it's not about what we can get? Well, then we want to be performers. Oh, it's not about performance? Well, then you prove that, you're, that we should really believe in you. Like, he didn't just do it yesterday, right? He said, they said, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread to eat from heaven. So a couple of them here I want to talk about. The third one is a prove-it gospel. We live today in a society that, yes, you got a lot of prosperity people. Yes, you got a lot of performance people. Some of them are the same, right? you got a lot of both of those. But then you also have a lot of people that are all about proving it. And they, they, their faith is based on what they can see. Their faith is based on what they can prove. Their faith is based on what, what the textbook, what science, what, whatever is going to tell them is true. And so what happens to, to this gospel is this gospel ends up saying... Well, the Bible is a good book, full of good moral stories, but none of it's true. None of it's true. It's just a good book to read. And Jesus was a good man, and he lived a good life, and he's got a lot of good things to say, like love your neighbor. Not love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but love your neighbor. Let's focus on that. Jesus said that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a good moral, and let's just live according to that moral. Why? Because it's a prove-it kind of gospel. It only is based in what I can prove, what I can see, what I can taste, what I can touch. Perry and I were talking um, 
recently about you know different families, different people that say stuff, and 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 we we overheard this conversation with someone talking about how you know the Bible doesn't isn't real about creation, that, that God didn't really create everything. We really understand that it was all based on science and evolution, and that's really how it happened. But you've got to understand the moral behind creation story. That's, that's the kind of society we live in. That's a, a gospel that is preached and it's prevalent in our world. And Jesus is going to confront that in just a second. But there's another kind of gospel that I want to kind of deviate a little bit. And we're going to deviate into Numbers chapter 11. This is Old Testament. Because they said this, they set themselves up to just be smacked in the face. Here's what they said. They said, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. Moses gave them bread, uh, gave them bread from heaven to eat. So a couple of things I want, to, I want to point out real quick. Let's just go back and look at their relationship with this bread from heaven, this manna. That happened in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God pulled them out of Egypt, rescued them from Egypt. And along the way, they were stuck in this desert before they get to the promised land. God had promised them a good home. But on their way to the good home, they get stuck in this wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness, they don't have anything to eat. And the Bible says that God gave them bread from heaven. That, that every morning they would wake up, they would look out, and there would be this bread, these flakes of bread on the ground. They would go collect those flakes of bread, and they could turn it into little cakes and something to eat, and it tasted very good. And so there was this thing where every day they would go out, they would collect, they would eat. Every day they'd go out, collect, and eat. It was a process that God put them through. So let's read. Because these guys in the New Testament are saying, hey, Jesus, this is what Moses did. What can you do? And they're acting like they love the manna. But the Bible says in Numbers 11, verses 4 through 6, it says, Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, if we just had some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Listen to the words. We remember the fish we used to eat for free. They were slaves for 400 years. They were beaten and tortured and had their babies thrown to crocodiles in the Nile. They, they were building things for people and, and beat up. But they got fish for free. That's what matters. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. We had all the cucumbers and melons, leeks, onions, and garlic that we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. I want you to notice a couple of things. A, how many stinky foods they wish they had. Isn't that funny? They wanted fish, onions, garlic. It's weird. When I had COVID, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago, I, I don't remember when COVID was anymore. Now, um, but when I had COVID, I, I, um, I lost my sense of smell to some degree, right? And, um, and I've told you guys a story probably, but... But our refrigerator had died, and when our refrigerator died, all the food inside of it spoiled. And Perry opened up the refrigerator door, and she starts gagging. She's like, you got to clean this fridge. And, and um, I just went in there, and I was like, I don't smell anything. I don't know what you're talking about. And then I was like, oh, I bet I have COVID. You know, I was like, ah, I got it, you know. But even now to this day, if you open up a banana in front of me, and I love bananas, but you open up a banana in front of me, it smells like sewage. I absolutely hate it. I still eat them. Don't get me wrong. I still eat them. But it smells horrible to me. Onions are 
terrible, terrible smell. And these guys are just, they're looking at these, these um, different foods and they're like, oh, if we just had all these stinky foods that we used to eat for free when we were slaves, right? And, and so what this shows me is, is we've got this um, prosperity gospel that's, that's prevalent. We've got a, a, a performance-based gospel that's prevalent. We've got a prove-it gospel that's prevalent. But then now we also have a progressive gospel that's prevalent. You'll hear a lot about progressive Christianity today, and, and what progressive, progressive Christianity basically says is, is, is my faith is based on my truth. It's based on my truth. Not the truth, not the truth, but my truth. Notice that the Israelites, what did they do? They based their hunger on their truth. They conveniently forgot the part about being slaves, right? Oh, we had free fish. We forget about the slave part. Let's not include that. Right? And so they conveniently forget parts. And then here's what they do. They want to bring in everything that they, that they want into what God has. So they're saying, yeah, God, we want the promised land, but we want to bring some Egypt in with us. And so that's where we get this progressive Christianity where people get up and they begin to talk about, you just live your truth. It's okay. God's not going to judge you. And yeah, I know what the Bible says about, uh, uh, about homosexuality. And yeah, I know what the Bible says about sin. And I know what the Bible says about uh, lying. And I know what the Bible says. But don't worry about what the Bible says because, because really it's all about your truth. And Jesus came to, to enlighten us to new truth. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says Jesus came to fulfill the law. The Bible says Jesus is the truth. It doesn't say he's giving us a new truth. It says nothing about living our truth. But these guys, and this is very common for a lot of us. And listen, I'm going to be honest with you. We can point fingers at all the people on YouTube and all the people on TV and all the progressives that we want to point fingers at. But really, they, what they've done is they've taken the progressive gospel and they've run it to an extreme. But the fact is, in, in our church right now in Trustville, Alabama, there are plenty of us that want the promised land, but we keep holding on to Egypt. We want the manna, but we keep holding on to the free fish. And there's got to be a place today where we let go of one and we cling to the other one. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Listen, this is a loaf of bread here, and I love, I love bread. This is Dave's killer bread. And it's one of my favorite. Who likes Dave's killer bread? Anybody? Yes. Dave's, man. He, yes. This is like in heaven. This is probably what bread is in heaven, is Dave's killer bread. But here's the thing. Here, here's, the, here's the thing with Dave's killer bread, just like most breads, is it's got end pieces. It's got end pieces. I call it the butts, right? It's got two butts, one on either end. This one kind of has a little mini butt right there. I don't know what's up with that. But guess what? Dave's Killer Bread is very expensive bread. That's probably a $7 loaf of bread. Right? Some of y'all are like, oh my God, you paid $7 for bread. It's really good bread. Um, probably $7 piece of bread. But guess what? I will take a dollar of that bread and throw it straight in the trash can sometimes. Because I don't like the butts. I don't like these end pieces. They're hard. And, and, uh, and it's got all this, you know, crust on the outside. I don't even know why God would make bread with crust on both sides. It doesn't make sense to me. What's Dave thinking? But here's the deal. We, we, we like to discard the parts of the bread that we don't like. And we do that with the gospel a lot of times, is we discard the parts we don't like. We only consume the parts we do like. 
Have you ever been to a, to a fancy restaurant? Um, they don't do this at cheap restaurants. At cheap restaurants, they might just bring you some Wonder Bread, and that's great too. But if, if you go to like a fancy restaurant and they bring you like the Italian bread or the French bread or whatever it is, and it's got the real hard crust on the outside but the real soft bread on the inside, you know what I do? I crack that bad boy open and I dig out all the soft bread like some kind of animal, right? And, and they'll come back and there'll be this husk of terrible, you know, outside bread and all the insides are gone because that's how I eat it. I like the insides. I don't eat the outside. But we do that with the gospel is we take the pieces that we like and we discard the pieces that we don't like. And so we see that all the time. We see people that, oh, if, if something seems a little weird or seems a little awful, let's just discard that. And, and well, that's just not, that's not for today. And that was just in Bible times. Or that was just cultural. Or that was just this. Or that was just that. And let's just take the parts that we like and let's live that truth. And so Jesus confronts all of these things. And then he starts to bring it all back to a point that we all need. So going down to verse 32. And I'm aware of the time. I'm going to keep moving. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. Now, in this passage, I just want you to know, he's going to say, I tell you the truth, a lot. And it's like a thing that Jesus does. Some, some people will say, uh, truly, truly. Like some versions of the Bible say, truly, truly. And anytime it repeats itself like that, it, it's for emphasis. Like it's trying to let you know that Jesus is emphasizing something very important. So when he says, I tell you the truth, this is important. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. They can't get it. They just cannot grasp the concept, right? They don't understand that he's the bread. Like they keep thinking, well, if there's some bread that makes me live eternally, I want that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, though you have seen me. So a couple of things I want to point out very quickly as we move on in this message is, number one, Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the bread. This is a staple part of the diet. In Mediterranean culture, in, in Middle Eastern culture, I mean, this was staple. Bread was essential to what they did. It, it would be like me saying to, um, if, if I were in Asia, if Jesus were in Asia, he would say, I am the rice of life. If you were to go to Italy, Jesus would say, I am the pasta of life. When I grew up and lived in Guatemala for part of my life, you know, they, they had uh, corn tortillas with every meal. It didn't matter. You would have them at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You would go into a fancy, nice restaurant, and there would be a little lady standing there with, you know, making corn tortillas by hand. It's just, it was a staple. So Jesus, if he were in Guatemala, he would say, I am the corn tortilla of life. That sounds silly, I know. But the fact is, it's, you need to understand, it, when he says, I'm the bread, it means more than the, the, the dinner rolls that they serve uh, before your meal at Olive Garden. He's not an appetizer. He's not a, 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 a side dish. He's saying, I am a staple of your diet. And so what we need to do is we need to start looking at what are the staples of our, of our diet in our life, in our spiritual life, in our walk. What is the staple of my diet? And if it's not Christ, something's wrong. I was talking to someone this week and they said, how do I know when my hobby becomes an idol? 
How do I know when my hobby becomes an idol? Listen, I'll tell you when your hobby becomes an idol is when your hobby becomes the staple of your life. When your job becomes the one thing that is the most important thing in your life, when it becomes your identity, when, when your hobby, when your fitness, when your food, when your, when, when your friends, when your family becomes the one thing, Christ deserves the spot as the one thing in our life. And everything else is a side dish. Right? The second thing he says is Moses didn't give you the bread. God did. Our salvation isn't based on what a man can do for us. Our salvation isn't based on the preacher. Our salvation isn't based on the church. Our salvation isn't based on, on what this guy says or that woman says. Our salvation is based on what God is doing in us and through us. The third thing it says is even though they see him, they don't believe him. And this is where we, a lot of people live today. And this is where all these other gospels come from. Is they see Christ. They know about Christ. But they don't believe in Christ. The word believe is used uh, 250 times in the New Testament. Over, or, or 100 of those times are in the book of John. John really likes the word believe. John throws it in everywhere. So I want to talk about the word believe for just a second before we move on. The word believe, uh, it, it, three things I want you to know about the word believe. Number one, it's a present progressive term. In other words, it means believing or ongoing belief. So when you see the Bible, especially in the book of John, when you see him use the word believe, he doesn't mean a belief one time. So when, when John 3.16, um, you know, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish. The word believe there doesn't mean a one-time belief. It doesn't mean I came and shook the preacher's hand and I raised my hand and I prayed the prayer. It means an ongoing, every day I wake up and I choose to believe in Christ. Right? That's what it means. So it's a Greek term. It's present progressive. It's not something we use necessarily today, but it means to be believing or go on believing. The, the second thing it means is it means to trust. And it doesn't just mean to trust, uh, you know, like we would think trust. It means to completely trust somebody. So I want you to think of a crutch that you would put all your weight on. Right? So this weekend, um, this week, Wednesday, G2 gets his wisdom teeth pulled out, and, and I'm driving him home. And boy, do I have some great stories to tell you about that drive home. Um, I filmed the whole thing. It's like 14 minutes long. Um, if, you, if you got, you know, a quarter of an hour, I'll sit down and show it to you one day. But, but I filmed the whole thing, and so he's talking out of his head, and it's crazy, and it's hilarious, and oh, it's so good. But I don't have time today because we're running out of time. But we get to the house, and when we get to the house, I get out of the car, and I go to open the door to let him out of the car. And whenever I did, he tells me, he informs me for the second time on this drive that his legs don't work. And I said, your legs do work. You're high. Get out of the car. And so he, he gets his feet out of the car, and he goes to stand up and just crumples to the ground. So, so I'm, I'm two weeks out of knee surgery, and my son is laying on the ground in my front yard, and I'm just thanking God that I had a minor knee surgery and I can walk good because I grabbed him, and I had to literally pick him up, put his arm over my shoulder, and pick that boy up carry him up the stairs and throw him on the couch. It was wild. What was he doing? He, had, he didn't know he was trusting me because he would, didn't know anything was happening, but he had to completely trust me as I carried him along. What does it mean to believe in Christ? It means to completely trust him as he carries us along. That if, if he drops me, I'm falling all the way down. 
There's no hope. I, I can't do anything to get myself to heaven. I can't earn it. I can't work it up. It's got to be him, and i got to completely trust him. The third word that, that believe means is to be totally persuaded. You think about how many of the disciples were murdered for their faith. They were murdered for their faith because they were totally persuaded. They said not even death will keep us, will, will turn us away from our faith. They were totally persuaded. And, and I'm going to be very real with you. In the world we live in today, if we get fired from our jobs, there's some of us that will be ready to turn from the faith. Because things didn't go the way we wanted them to go. If the guy doesn't ask you out for a date, oh, God doesn't love me. Listen, man, your faith has to be bigger. Your belief system has to be bigger than what he can do for you. It's got to be totally persuaded. So let's skip ahead. Skip ahead, skip ahead. Verse 47, we'll pick up right there. I tell you the truth, anyone who, has, who believes has eternal life. Again, there's the word believe. Now that we understand what believe means, we know it's not just a one time, oh yeah, I believe. Like, like, like I believe, you know, um, the, I believe Alabama was going to win the championship. Right? I believe that. It didn't work out, but I believed it. Um, that was wrong. I'm sorry, Jay. <laughs> Jay's really salty today. And I try to tell him, listen, I like this. I try to tell Jay, I was like, look, man, at least you made the tournament. Your team made the tournament. LSU didn't even make the tournament. They were so bad. And Jay was like, yeah, but we should have won. I was like, I like that attitude. I like that. That's good. That's good. Here I am being the progressive Christian saying, oh, it's just, hey, man, look at the bright side. And Jay's like, no, man, I'm hardcore Christian. Um, I've got standards. I've got standards. Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. I love Jesus. He is, like, tough. He's like, yeah, man, you can get that bread, and you're going to die anyway. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer the world uh, so that the world may live is my flesh. Right here, people start uh, checking out. The thing is... The bread, he says, the bread that I offer is my flesh. This is not a foreign concept to people. In our day, it's foreign. Jesus, why would you offer us your flesh that's weird? Right? But to them, it wasn't foreign because they understood that the flesh represented the sacrifice. That in order for sins to be forgiven, an animal had to be sacrificed. And actually, the priest got to eat the sacrifice. Was supposed to. Was commanded to. Like, there was this place where the sacrifice was eaten. It wasn't just burned up and thrown away. It was eaten. And so, so Jesus is basically telling these people, I am the sacrifice for your sins. And they just don't get it. I think they kind of get it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. They just, they just don't want to get it. Verse 52, it says, And the people begin arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They start complaining. And, and I love this. Um, whenever you think that people are being smart out towards you, remember they were smart out towards Jesus. Right off the bat, they start saying, how can he give us his, his flesh to eat? They knew that's not what he meant. They understood the, the concept of the sacrifice, but they take something super, like, uber literal that was supposed to be a metaphor, that was supposed to be an understanding, and they do that just to, just to insult Christ. So Jesus comes back in verse 53 and says, um, I tell you the truth, there it is again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You cannot have eternal life within you. Let me pause right there. This is something I love about Jesus is the moment he offends people. If he were here today, not, not him, if he were here today, there, the church wouldn't be this big, right? 
If he were here today, because he would offend people, and here's the cool thing about Jesus, when some, when some people offend someone else with the gospel, with the truth, if they know they're offended, they will immediately be like, well, let me just, I'm sorry, did I hurt your feelings? Let me reword this in a way that's better. Jesus doubles down on it. So Jesus says, uh, you got to eat my flesh. And they're like, oh, that's terrible, that's horrible. He goes, oh, you're offended? Well, then not just eat my flesh, but drink my blood. He doubles down on the, on the metaphor and really hurts their feelings. He says, you cannot have eternal life within you. Verse 54, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person up at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. Some versions say abides in me and I in him. I live because the living Father who sent me, in the same way anyone who feeds on me, that word feeds is important, who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. A couple of things I want to point out from that passage, that, that section right there. Number one, you have to eat the flesh. You have to eat the bread. He says feed. The word feed there means to gnaw, chew, like to, to digest something. To gnaw, chew, or digest something. It means to consume something. Listen, when it comes to Christ, we have to take it in. So what he's talking about here is he's using bread, he's using flesh, he's using blood. He's talking about the sacrifice that he's going to make on the cross. He's saying, there's coming a time when I'm going to die as a sacrifice for your sins. We'll talk about that at Easter, right, in two weeks. But he says, there's coming a time I'm going to die as a sacrifice for your sins, and you have to consume it. You have to take that in to yourself. It has to be a part of your belief system. He's not talking about communion. That comes later. Right now, he's just talking about the idea that you've got to know that his sacrifice on the cross is everything you need, and you've got to consume that and bring that in. You can't just look at it. Listen, we live in a world today that wants to just know about Jesus. Just look at Jesus. Look at the pretty bread. Let me take a picture of my bread and post it on Instagram. Let me get a selfie with the bread. Let, let, me, just, let me just talk about the bread. Let me watch people bake bread on TV. But listen, the Bible says you have to consume it. You have to consume it, and you have to consume it, and you have to consume it. Not just listening to me consume it and regurgitate it to you. You need to consume it for yourself. You coming in here is just watching me vomit up what he's already given me, what I consumed. What are you going to consume? You're just watching me cook. I'm Rachel Ray or Guy Fieri or whoever. I, that's the only two cooks I know, right? What's the mean guy? Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, I'll be Gordon Ramsay, right? But the fact is you've got to eat it yourself. You've got to consume it yourself. Your relationship with Christ is personal. It's personal. It's not public in the sense of it's, it's not, you, you don't get it. Jay doesn't get saved. Jay doesn't live for God because of what I do or what Erica does. He lives for God because of what he does, what he consumes on a daily basis. He's got to be the staple. Number two, you have to assimilate the bread. When he says chew there or, or, or feed there, it, it means to digest as well. And here's the thing. What we digest becomes a part of who we are. What I digest becomes a part of who I am. That's science. That's not weird. There's a, 
There's an old saying that says you are what you eat, right? Anything we consume becomes a part of who we are. You consume bad stuff, right? You're going to get fat. You consume good stuff, you're going to get muscle. You, you consume certain things, and your brain will get smarter. You eat more fat, good fats, it helps your brain. You eat good fats, it helps your joints. There's all kinds of stuff that you eat, you consume, and it does things to your body. It changes who you are because it com- becomes a part of who you are. And the Bible says this in 1 John 2, 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Jesus should become a part of who they are. If I'm consuming him, Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I should live this earthly body by trusting, believing, uh, having faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 3.18, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. What are you saying, Gabriel? I'm saying we should become more and more like Christ. If we are consuming Him, we will become more like Him. You want to know if you're saved? You want to know, like, did it stick or whatever your case is? Listen, what are the fruits you're producing? Are you becoming more like Christ or are you becoming more like the world around you? That may help me understand, am I really believing in him? Or am I believing one of these extreme gospels? Because if I'm believing in him, if I'm consuming him, I'm going to become more and more like him. And the last one of that little passage says this. He is the true food. Listen, at the end of the day, we can consume a bunch of junk food or we can eat real food. I told you, Gabriel got his wisdom teeth pulled out. God love him. He's a teenager. He's 17 years old. And if any of you have ever been a teenager before, which I assume most of you have, (laughs) you will know teenagers like to eat. And that poor baby, all he can have is jello. And applesauce. And yesterday he's like, Dad, please, please let me just have some real food. I'm like, I'm so sorry, baby. You cannot have real food yet. He's like, I'm tired of applesauce. Like, and, and Perry's like, well, do you want some yogurt? He's like, no, it's so gross. Like, he hates yogurt. So, um, and, and so he just, he's tired of all the junk. And like, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody that if I said, hey, you can eat ice cream three, three times a day, that would turn it down. But he's like gotten to the point where like, I don't even want ice cream anymore. I just want like, some meat. I want some real food. Listen, we can't survive on junk food. We can't survive on junk food. We got to have the real food. And Jesus is the real food. Let, let's end. The Bible says in, in verse 60, it says, many of his disciples said... This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? This is a great translation today. I'm using the New Living. Um, This is a great translation of this verse. The problem is not comprehension, it's activation. The, The problem is not understanding what he's saying. The problem is accepting what he's saying. So there's these disciples. Now remember, who are these disciples? This isn't just the twelve. John is using the term disciple very loosely because these are a bunch of people that have followed him around. He fed them, and they kept following him looking for food, right? Looking for food. And so now they've shown up, and now they're, under, they're, they're struggling, and they said this. They said, who can accept it? Listen, my job every Sunday morning, I hope that I help you understand the scriptures. That's my hope. 
But at the end of the day, it's up to you to accept the scripture, right? I'm going to give you the word of God in a way that I hope you understand, but it's really between you and God whether or not you accept it. I can't make that happen. And these guys are saying, we can't understand this. He said, it's hard to understand, and we can't accept it. Jesus was aware that, that they were complaining, and he said to them, does this offend you? Then what would you think if you see the Son of Man ascending to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. What Jesus says is, are you offended? If you're offended now, what are you going to do when I'm sitting in judgment? What are you going to do when I'm back in heaven and it's the end and I'm judging the world? Listen, friends. I would rather be offended right now. I would rather eat the end piece right now, right? And not like it, but get over it than to offend him at the judgment. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, are you offended? It's okay to be offended. It's okay that Jesus offends. He doesn't, he doesn't mind that he offends you. But at the end of the day, if you consume him, if you accept him, then you'll get over the offense. It's okay that he steps on your toes a little bit. You'll get over it. I would rather have my toes stepped on now than when I get to judgment and I'm offensive to him. Verse 66, and this is the last one, I promise. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and said, Are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words that, are, that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I just want to point out, there's going to be disciples that turn away. Not everybody that goes to church is going to remain. There's going to be people that turn away because they're going to follow this other gospel and this other gospel is based. Their faith is based on what they can get. Their faith is based on what they can do. Their faith is based on their truth and whenever they're confronted with their truth not being real, then they're going to turn away. When they can't perform, they're going to turn away. When they don't get what they want, they're going to turn away. So you're going to see people turn away. And Jesus looks at his disciples at the 12, and he says, you guys aren't leaving too, are you? And Peter steps up, who we give him a hard time a lot of times for running his mouth. But he, he steps up in this instance, and here's what he says. He, he says three things that I think are important. Number one, he calls him Lord. In other words, he says, you're the boss, and you're in charge. Listen, he needs to be Lord of your life. He needs to be Lord of my life. I cannot be Lord and him be Lord at the same time. My job cannot be Lord and him be Lord at the same time. We want him to be Savior. Everybody wants to be forgiven of their sins, but nobody wants someone to tell them what to do. But when we become a Christian, when we really become a follower of Christ, we turn over, we submit to his Lordship. Peter said, you're Lord. The next thing he says is, only you have eternal life. Only you can save us. And that's important to understand. We can't get to heaven any other way. I don't care if the progressive gospels. I don't care what Oprah says. Oprah, I saw a clip the other day that Oprah said that there are many paths to God. She chooses Jesus, which she's not really choosing Jesus. She's saying that. She chooses Jesus, but there's lots of paths that are going to get you to heaven, that get you to God. Listen, she's wrong. She's wrong. There's only one way. And that's Jesus. And I hate it. I hate that that truth offends people. But it is what it is. We got to choose the right way. The bread of life. 
And then last, he says, we believe and we know. Why don't you stand up with me today? I know I've run you a little bit late today. I'm so sorry. I'm not really sorry to you as much as I'm sorry to the kids workers upstairs. They're all mad at me right now. He says we believe and we know. Listen, this is important to understand. There is a difference between believing and knowing. Everybody in this room knows who Jesus is. Because I just talked about him for 45 minutes. You all know who Jesus is, but do you believe in him? See, I can know, but I got to believe as well. I got to believe as well. And there's some of us, honestly, we believe, we put our faith in him, but we don't really know him. We're not consuming him. We're not reading the word. We're not, we're not praying. We're not pursuing that relationship with him like we should. And I want to encourage both sides today. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you have faith in him and trust in him? Are you completely persuaded? I'm going I'm to have some prayer team people come down to the front. We do this every Sunday, and this is how we'll close the message today. If you need prayer for anything, I want you to come down and let someone pray with you this morning. And we just want to pray with you. We just want to lift you up, encourage you, love on you. But there may be some of these areas. Maybe today you don't, you don't love him. You don't, you're, not, you're not serving him. Maybe today you're not, um, you, you're not believing in him. Maybe you don't know him, and you need to get your heart right with Jesus Christ today. You need him to forgive you of your sins. Maybe today he's not been the bread of life for you. Maybe you've leaned into some other areas of extremes. And, and listen, what you need today is you need an encounter with Jesus Christ. Maybe today you're just struggling. Maybe you're struggling in your work life. Maybe, maybe your home life is hurting. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe you're sick in your body and you want someone to pray with you today. Frenches and I always talk about storms. That was one of their first messages when they came. We talked about storms. Maybe you're going through a storm today. Maybe you're going through a storm. As a matter of fact, why don't you guys come down right here and you'll help us pray with some folks today. Because y'all know what it's like to go through a storm. If you're going through a storm today, we want to pray with you. So I'm just going to pray over you. Pastor Jonathan's going to sing a song or Anna. And when they sing, if you need prayer, come down to the front. If you don't need prayer, you can stand and worship. You can be dismissed. You can come pray with your friends, whatever you want to do today. But I want to pray over you right now. Lord, I just pray for courage and boldness. And, and God, right now, if, if we're a little bit afraid of what people may think, God, don't let us be offended today. Help us to be bold and courageous. Help us to step out and let someone pray with us. Help us tonight, today, God, to, to give our lives to you. Help us to surrender to you as Lord and as Savior. God, I don't want to just know you. I want to believe. I want both. So, God, today I just pray that you would fill this room with courage and boldness. In Jesus' name.